You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. We're thankful that you have decided to be here today to celebrate Good Friday with us. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 will serve as the jumping point for us as we walk through uh, a small devotional, and then we will uh, come to the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of that. This past month, we have been walking through a series on the atonement. And we've defined the atonement of that work that Christ has done in his life and in his death to earn our salvation. And we have also understood that understanding what the atonement is, understanding what the atonement means, helps us to understand the very cornerstone of our faith. What exactly happened upon the cross? What happened that Good Friday that made it the greatest Friday ever? We've been walking through that this past month, and as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll read that in a second. This serves as the summary for what the atonement is. It says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray. Father, for your leading now for your help now, for you to make plain enormous truths. Father, for the heart that has never understood, for the heart that it's never really made sense, God, for grace for that person today, that eyes would be open, that they would see again for the first time the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. God, would you do that work that only you can do today in this room? God, for hearts who do know and who have heard and who do understand, but maybe not quite so fully, God, would you speak clearly to us as well that the reality of what happened on that greatest Friday would be so clear that would then drive our hearts to worship you and love you and revere you and bless your name for your work for us. For our sake, you made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lead us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 really serves as a summary of what the atonement is. Jesus in my place. Jesus standing where I should stand. Jesus hanging where I should hang. Jesus dying where I should die. This past month, we've been walking through a series on the atonement, and we have been looking at four key words and we're going to summarize those again this morning. 
Let me give you the first word. It's this. It's sacrifice. Sacrifice. Jesus in my place. He took my death so that I could live. To remove the death penalty from me, Jesus takes the death in my place. He serves as a sacrifice in my place. Jesus in my place. But death. Why death? Because death is a capital punishment for a capital crime. Jesus on the cross suffers the death penalty in my place so that I can live. But why do I have this death penalty? Why is the death penalty hanging over me? Because I have walked and committed a capital offense. I have committed the capital offense that says that I am in charge of my life, not God. I know what's best for my life, not God. I make the rules up for my life, not God. We walk every day, many of us, with little to no thought of God and the things that we do and the things that we say and the things that we think. We take these truths of who God is as how he's revealed himself to be and we silence them. We toss them aside and we live how we want. But it was never meant to be this way. And the effects of sin are seen upon our world. We were never meant to live with hunger. We were never meant to live with thirst. We were never meant to face famine. We were never meant to face heartbreak or disease or death or sickness or selfishness or hurt or violence. It was never meant to be this way. We were meant to live with peace and joy and love and eternal delight with God. But we, his creation, have silenced him. We plugged our ears and we've told God to go away. You go away, God. You're not in charge. You're not over me. Not you. Not you, God. Go away, God. That's what makes sin so wicked. We have said that we are God, we make up our own rules. We don't let God's rules govern us. We say, God, you go away now. But God, praise God, never goes away. God was not content with this arrangement. He was not content with you perishing. And so from the beginning of history, he has made a way. He has pointed over and over and over again to a sacrifice that will be made. And hundreds of thousands of sacrifices are made in ancient Israel, pointing up to this one greatest Friday. All of them saying, all of them speaking again and again and again, that a capital crime has been committed and a capital punishment must be paid. We have said that we are God. We have said that we are in charge. We have said, God, you go away. We have spoken to the king of the universe as though he was slight, as though he was insignificant, as though he was something trivial. That's a capital punishment. We deserve to die for this crime, for this blasphemy. That's justice. But here is mercy. Hebrews 9, 26 says, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin 
by the sacrifice of himself. The atonement, what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, includes his death as a sacrifice. All of these sacrifices pointing to this one greatest Friday. Enter Jesus, the perfect son of God, into his own creation, his creation that has rejected him, and he has given up himself into the hands of his creation to die for us, to face the capital punishment that you and I deserve. And before the ridiculous rulers of men, he is charged with blasphemy. The Son of God is charged with being God. And he is placed upon a cross for saying that he is God. He is murdered for saying that he is God. But don't you see? Before the righteous judge, before the righteous judge, the one over heaven and earth, you and I stand condemned. You and I stand before this righteous judge, condemned by saying that we ourselves are God. We're charged with blasphemy. And what's more, we're condemned. Both Jesus and you and I stand before judges. Both Jesus and you and I are charged with blasphemy for saying that we are God. But only Jesus dies. Only Jesus receives the capital punishment. He's the one who is God. And yet he's the one who dies for me. And like Barabbas, the murderer, I am set free. I get life. Jesus takes my death so that I might have life. That sacrifice. Jesus in my place. Second word, reconciliation. He took my separation so that I might be welcomed. Reconciliation. We were separated from God because of this sin. We needed someone to provide a reconciliation back to God. We had intimate fellowship. We had communion with God, but we broke it because of our own sin and our rebellion, and it has fractured this relationship with God. We have yelled in the face of the one who has loved us from eternity, and we've walked out on him and slammed the door. We need something to bring us back, but the sin has left us helpless. It has maimed us in our thinking, in our actions, in the motives of our hearts. It has left us wounded so we cannot walk back. The Bible tells us flat out that there is no one who seeks after God. No one. Not even one. Apart from Christ in our lives, we are helpless. In our sin, we are left unable to reach him. We have fallen into the pit. And we cannot get out. We have broken away. And now we have broken legs and can't get back. That seems fair. But that seems sad. This is justice. We deserve this. But here is mercy. Unable to reach him, he reaches to us. Ephesians 2 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. God, through his perfect son, Jesus Christ, willingly receives the rejection that you and I deserve. He willingly chooses to be left behind so that you and I might be brought into the family of God. He willingly chooses to be forsaken and abandoned upon the cross by the one who has loved him from before eternity began. He willingly chooses this so that you and I might be welcomed in by God. His father turns his back on him so that he might look upon us with favor. That's Jesus in my place. Again, it is love that moves our savior. It is his unwillingness to leave us behind that forces him to move. And for six hours upon the cross, the tortured body of the Son of God is orphaned, cut off for you, for me. And the dividing wall of hostility is kicked down by the life of the Son of God. And the greatest peace treaty that was ever written was written on that greatest Friday in the blood of the Lamb of God. Do you see what kind of love the Father has for you? That you should be called the sons of God. And so you are. He took my separation that I might be welcomed in. That's reconciliation. Third word of the atonement. Propitiation. He took my punishment so that I might receive reward. To remove us from the wrath of God that we deserve, Christ dies as a propitiation for our sins. Jesus in my place. Jesus Christ, as awful as this scene on that greatest Friday was of Jesus hanging upon a cross in his battered physical body, receiving the blows of men and, and bearing the weight of the, the frailty of this world, something greater is happening. He's also carrying the sin. All of this thinking, all of this saying, all of this doing by us, setting up these paper gods, as it were, has filled for us a bucket of wrath. All of the times that we have lived in suppression of his truth has produced wrath by God against our sin. God intensely hates our sin. God must punish our sin. If God did not punish our sin, then he would be a God, horror of horrors, who tolerates sin. But our God does not tolerate sin. Our God is holy, 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 and he hates sin, and so we must punish sin. Sin must be punished. That's justice. But here is mercy. 1 John 4.10 says this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We have committed the crimes, but he bears the punishment. We are the ones who must pay, but he pays the punishment. We are the ones who must suffer the wrath of God, but Jesus suffers the wrath of God. He is the one who receives it. Jesus 
in my place. He willingly chooses the cup of wrath from God the Father. He drinks the cup as he hangs upon the cross. And for six hours as the sky darkens, he is separated from the favorable presence of his Father and punished for our sins. Why? Why would he do this? Why would he do this for someone like me? Why would he do this for someone like you? Because he loves you. And this is how far love will go. This is what love looks like. He does this for you because he loves you. He receives the wrath so that you and I can have the favor of God, the reward of God, so that I can have the presence of God in my life, so that God can delight in me as he delights in his son, Jesus. He takes my punishment so that I might have reward. That's propitiation. That's our third word. Jesus in my place this is the atonement, sacrifice, propitiation, final word, redemption. He took my blood. He took my bondage so that I might be free. He took my bondage so that I might be free. Not only does Jesus suffer and carry death for me and suffer and carry wrath for me and suffer and carry alienation from the Father, he also incredibly unspeakably carries the sin of the world upon himself. The sin that we have been enslaved to and we are enslaved to sin. Every day, like a demon cancer, we continue in our sinful thinking and acting and de-godding God with every step, doing things for our own glory and like an anchor, a chain wrapped around our legs. It draws us deeper and deeper and thoughts become words and words become actions and actions become lifestyles and the sin of us and the sin of others around us shackle us to the horror of its effects. And all of a sudden, marriages are ruined because of our selfishness and sin. Children are scarred because of our selfishness and sin. Pride is elevated because of our selfishness and sin. Violence increases, addictions thrive, relationships shatter, words dig deep, depression looms because of our selfishness and sin. And down, down, down we go, chained, anchored, as it were, to this sin. Drowning because of the chains that we have chosen. And we've chosen them. This was our doing. We wanted to be God. We put ourselves in that place. I decide the rules. I make up what's right for my life. I do what I want to do. And these chains we hug as they destroy us and bring us down. That's justice. We deserve that. We deserve that. We deserve that. But here is mercy. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We learned this last weekend that that word redemption is a market word. It means to purchase 
out of slavery. It means to purchase out of bondage. A slave is purchased at great cost to the new master and is redeemed and set free. And this happened at the cross. And the payment that was paid for you and for me was the life of the Son of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God who hates sin so much? The constant affronts to his glory, the never-ending cries of man claiming and acting and walking around believing himself to be God, and that's you and that's me here. Billions of us living as though God didn't matter, God was insignificant, I can run my own life the way I want to run. All of that disgusting sin and all of the, the horrors as a result of that is placed upon the shoulders of the Son of God and the creator of the world bears the weight of the sin of the world. Can you imagine how awful this is? That God takes what he hates the most and carries it upon a cross and again, the question, why would he do this? And again, the answer. Because he loves you. He would do that for you because he loves you so At great cost to himself, the son is sacrificed to pay the price for us. He walks up to each leg and each chain and wraps it around himself and carries it and suffers its weight so that you and I could be free. And he does this because he loves you. Because he loves you. Listen, because he loves you. This is the atonement. Let me put this summary up. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, again, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sacrifice, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption. Jesus in my place. Jesus gets the death so that I can have the life. Jesus is separated so that I could be welcomed. Jesus is punished so that I could be rewarded. Jesus is enslaved so that I could be free. That's what made this the greatest Friday ever. The justice and the mercy of God at the cross of Jesus Christ, given out for people like us. And why would he do this? Why would he do this? Underlying all of this is God's strong word, I hope to you, that you hear today. Because I love you. This is done for you because he loves you. Three applications, and then I will be done. The first is this. Can we be done, can we be done today trivializing our sin? Can we be done making light of something that has killed and cost the life of our Savior? 
Its results have murdered him. Its results have forced him to face the wrath of God. Its results have forced him to be alienated from his father and go into the bondage of our sin. Can we be done with trivializing sin? Have you grown deaf to sin in your life recently? Maybe at one time it was like cannons on the battlefield whenever something like that happened, whenever there was a sin, whenever there was an offense, or the, the, the newness of your salvation and life in Christ made you so sensitive, believer. But over the years, little things have crept in and your hearing has diminished and now big things are happening in your life. Sin is reigning in your life and you're trivializing it. The cross of Jesus Christ points to us today to consider again and recognize that sin is not a small thing in our lives. What's next? Uh, more little sins, and then big sins, and then a whole lifestyle of sin? Can we be done with trivializing sin in our lives? Aren't even the little sins in heaven before a holy God who sacrificed his son, aren't even those little sins an atrocity to him? Can we, can we rightly understand the weight of our sin today? Can we rightly understand our neediness for the Lord to cleanse us? Application two, can we be done with trivializing sin, but can we also be done with minimizing the love of God for us? Do you see today, I pray with fresh eyes, how much God loves you? Can, can, we, be, can we just stop saying and feeling like, oh, I don't think God loves me? Can we stop judging the Lord and his love for us by the circumstances and the people around us? Life gets hard, God must not love me. Can we be done with this and, and, and judge his love by this act alone even? Romans 5 says to us that God shows his love for us even today in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is a beacon going again and again of how much God loves you. Can we be done with minimizing this, the, 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 the depth of the love of God upon us? Life may be hard. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. Life might be painful for you. But listen, listen. The foundations of heaven are built upon the grand truth that God loves you and me. The cross stands for you today as a sign of how much God was willing to endure, to give you life, to give you reward, to give you the Father, to give you freedom. Let me ask you, who in your life can possibly compare with this kind of love? Who in your life has given up this much to love you like this? Who in your life has done this for you even though you have despised and, and run away? Who has loved you like this? The greatness of the love of God, the greatness of our sin. The greatness of the sacrifice of the Son of God all point today to the reality of the greatest Friday there ever was. I said three applications. Here's the third. We come out of today carrying rightly the weight of our sin and recognizing who we are. We walk out of today recognizing even more so the great love of God upon us despite who we are. But we also do exactly what Jesus said we are to do, which is to remember him with physical reminders. Now, before we go there, I'll just say, don't move. Don't hold your Bible up. Don't click your pen yet. You can do that while I pray. We are going now 
to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was betrayed, the night before, he held up bread and he held up a cup. And he called us to remember these, use these symbols to remember his work upon the cross. And so now, as a church, with reverence and with joy, and I pray with a greater understanding of this greatest Friday and the magnitude of our God's love for us, we walk to the table and turn to the Lord's Supper. I'd like to invite you, if you've been asked to serve, uh, to please come forward now. And worship team, you can return to the stage. And while everyone is moving, you can fold up your Bible. I guess that's a good time. But let me also remind you that what we're about to do, according to the writers of the New Testament, is considered to be a family meal. It is a family meal that sons and daughters gather around to remember the great work of the, of the Lord of our life. This is a meal for sinners who've been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you today and you're struggling with that word sinner, and if that's you today and you're struggling with the understanding of Jesus Christ, then this meal is not for you. It's a time for sons and daughters to gather together to remember the sacrifice, to remember the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, to carry the weightiness of sin, but also to carry the weightiness of God's great love for us. So if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, we would just invite you to allow the bread and the juice to pass you by and for you to take this time to consider and to seek the Lord. Let me pray for us. In fact, let's all do that right now. Lord, we go to the, the table now to remember the work, your work upon a cross that stands as a testament to how you pursued us Yours is a love, Lord, that pursues. You chase us. Though we had run far from you, though we had rejected you, you never stopped loving us. You loved us to the end. You loved us with your life. You carried my sin and my shame and my failures. And you paid for them all. That I might have hope and life and joy in you. So lead us now, Lord. Pray for hearts with reverence. Pray for hearts filled with joy. Pray for hearts filled with love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.